shine between the lines If you would let yourself go Find some place you know You can use your words, use your hands You can change the world, just pretend Express yourself, take a chance and you'll see Who you'll be It's time to express yourself Where teens talk and the world listens Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Man must rise above the earth to the top of the atmosphere and beyond. For only thus will he fully understand the world in which he lives. So, Cladies, hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people. A platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. From Cynthia Bryan, producer of Express Yourself and Star Star Productions, we bring this program to the airwaves as an outreach service of the Be The Still You World charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. For today's show, Be The Story You Are wants to thank everyone who's volunteered and supported BTSYA over the years. We are thrilled to be serving the world. If you'd like to help us celebrate being a top nonprofit with a donation, please visit www.btsya.org. That's www.btsya.org. Every dollar counts and we will use the funds for our outreach programs. Make sure to listen to Express Yourself wherever you listen to radio or music. iTunes, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and more. We broadcast from the Empowerment Channel on Voice America Radio, the largest radio network in the world. Salutations! I'm Kirsi, your host for today's show. Today we're going to dive into the world of exoplanets and astronomy. Get it? The, the world of exoplanets? No? Duff Cloud. Anyway... In segment one, it'll be yours truly telling you all about the exoplanets and philosophy and what we know about them. In our last segment, we will have our guest talking about exoplanets and astronomy. Salutations for my favorite nerd extraordinaire, whose segment is slightly turning into a philosophy segment. You see, it's supposed to be about debate, but then debate uses a whole lot of logic, and logic is nothing but a subcategory of philosophy. Therefore, a debate segment could cover philosophy. See, this is big brain behavior, guys. I am using my big brain. Yay! Me is very smart. See, that was sarcastic because my brain is probably non-existent. There's nothing inside my skull except for a few pink noodles. No brain is to be found. Take an MRI, you will see nothing but noodles. Anyway, as I said before, today I'm going to talk to you guys about exoplanets and philosophy. Off we go on our philosophical adventure. Ladies and gentlemen, interstellar explorers and cosmic philosophers, today we embark on a journey to the stars, a voyage that's equal part scientific discovery and philosophical wonderment. We're here to discuss the mind-boggling realm of exoplanets and how they inspire the deepest of philosophical endeavors. Now, you might wonder why we are talking about exoplanets and philosophy together. Well, because... My friends, when you start thinking about planets and other solar systems, you inevitably find yourself pondering the meaning of life, the universe, and everything else. Spoiler alert, the meaning of light is not just 42. Let's just start with the basics. 
exoplanets are planets lo located outside of our solar system. Evidently, as you can tell by the name, they're like the cosmic neighbors we never knew we had, and boy, do they stir the pot of philosophical stew. Imagine the interstellar real estate market. It's a bit like trying to buy a house when you don't even know if it has a kitchen. But here's where the fun begins. When we discover an exoplanet's existence, it's like discovering a new restaurant in a foreign city. You look at the menu, check out the atmosphere, literally in this case, and wonder if they have good Wi-Fi. Suddenly, you're pondering questions like, is there life out there? Are there alien chefs creating cosmic cuisines? Are they taking reservations? And this brings us to the heart of philosophical dilemma. Are we alone in this universe? Is there a cosmic cable of civilization sipping intergalactic coffee, discussing philosophy in languages we can't even fathom? Maybe they're debating on whether it's ethical to abduct cows for experiments. And what about the Fermi paradox? The great Enrico Fermi once asked, Where is everybody? Well, I say, Where is everybody? What even is everybody? Who is everybody? What is this concept of everybody that we have created? The paradox arises because with the vast number of potentially habitable planets out there, we should have met an alien neighbor by now. But we haven't. Is this a philosophical sign that intelligent life is real, or perhaps that we're not looking hard enough? Another philosophical conundrum arises when we think about the vastness of the universe. Exoplanets make us feel like cosmic dust specks in an unimaginably colossal arena. It's the ultimate existential crisis on a universal scale. Think about it. Your existential crisis is tiny compared to the universe's existential crisis. So, what's the point of all this cosmic philosophy? Well, it just reminds us to stay humble and curious. As we explore the exoplanets and grapple with the existential questions they raise, we're reminded that in the grand scheme of the cosmos, our little blue dot is just one act in an epic cosmic drama. And whether you're a scientist, a philosopher, or just someone who loves to look up at the stars and ponder life, like me, exoplanets beckon us to keep on exploring, to keep on asking questions, and to keep on finding wonder in the unknown. Let's delve deeper into the cosmic funhouse of exoplanets and philosophy. One of the most exciting philosophical discussions in the world of exoplanets revolves around the possibility of life elsewhere in the universe. We've all heard the famous question, are we alone? But there's a twist. Imagine if, in the search for extraterrestrial life, we discovered a planet populated by sentient, wise-cracking sloths? That would be a real game-changer, wouldn't it? Sloths of all animals, a planet full of sloths. Philosophers would have a field day pondering the cosmic implications of interstellar slow talk and chill vibes. Now, the universe is vast, but our technological reach is not. Philosoph Philosophers and scientists alike are faced with the profound question of whether we'll ever have the means to visit these exotic exoplanets. Will we be like cosmic couch surfers hopping from one interstellar sofa to the other? Or will we just have to make do with our celestial selfie sticks? And speaking of technology, exoplanets present a technological puzzle. When we detect an exoplanet, it's often through methods like the transit method or the radial velocity method. Now, philosophers, philosophers might ask, 
Is it ethical to spy on other planets in the universe? Are we interstellar voyeurs? It's like cosmic reality TV on a galactic scale. Imagine the debates on celestial privacy laws. But what do we do if we do find extraterrestrial life? Imagine shaking hands, or whatever appendage they have, with an alien species. Philosophers, no doubt, would be in a frenzy of ethical questions. Should we share our earthly wisdom with them, or is that cultural appropriation? We need to understand that these are living creatures, so do we need like an intergalactic etiquette guide for first contact? What are the diplomatic protocols for introducing Earth cuisine to a hungry alien species? Now, these questions might sound funny, but they're not far from the minds of those who ponder the implications of finding intelligent life beyond our blue planet. In conclusion, when we look at the stars and think about exoplanets, we're not just gazing at distant orbs of rock and gas. We're peering into the very soul of the universe, questioning our place in it, and wondering what lies beyond. In the end, exoplanets and philosophy go together like chocolate and peanut butter. The more we explore these distant worlds, they, the more they make us question, wonder, and laugh. They remind us that the universe is a vast playground of possibilities and mysteries. After all, isn't that what both science and philosophy are all about? So, let's keep looking at the stars, keep asking the big questions, and keep a good sense of humor about the whole cosmic circus. After all, in this infinite cosmic carnival, the fun is bound to be out of this world. So, let's embrace the cosmic curiosity and the philosophical ponderings that exoplanets inspire, for they remind us that in the vastness of the cosmos, there's always something new, something awe-inspiring, and something downright hilarious just waiting to be discovered. Now, that's all the time we have for this segment. I'm very sorry you guys had to listen to me ramble on and on about philosophy for a long time. Make sure you stay tuned for our next segment where I'll explain to you about exoplanets and astronomy, and I'll also introduce you guys to our guest. We want to hear your thoughts, and we want to answer your questions, so email us at info at bethestudyorder.org. That's info at bethestudyorder.org. Check out our radio site at www.expressyourselfteenradio.com and our creative community site at bethestudyorder.org. You can get involved with the Be The Story World charity, buy books and t-shirts in our store, sign up for our free newsletter, and make a donation to Be The Story World. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and entertained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen for our lifestyle show. 
Star Style, be the star you are with our host, Cynthia Bryan. Then on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, Teens Talk and the World Listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com and the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Hello, and welcome back to our radio show. Right now, we have Nyle Davidian, our guest for today's show. Welcome. Thank you. Yeah. So, this is basically her bio. Growing up next to the bustling city of Boston, Nyle didn't have much of a chance to observe the night sky with her naked eye, due to light pollution, that is. However, whenever she went on a family vacation to Cape Cod or Maine, she was hypnotized by what looked above. Her interest in the cosmos continued to grow by watching shows such as How the Universe Works, which introduced her to the most fascinating phenomena, such as black holes and dark matter. Despite always having a passion for astronomy, she didn't have much particular interest in exoplanets, which are planets outside our solar system. Upon realizing the possibilities that these ubiquitous worlds hold in terms of potential habitability and extraterrestrial life, she knew that she knew that she had to investigate the topic further. Nile has been studying exoplanets for a while now, particularly what makes them habitable. Thousands of exoplanets being confirmed in the past couple years, but in addition to simply finding them, we can analyze their physical and chemical properties to determine their potential for habitability. So, Nayeli, how how do you think exoplanets are found, and how are they found? How do scientists find them? Yeah, so there are a few different ways that they are found. So one method that's uh, been pretty popular is called the transit method, and this is when the difference in light from a star is measured when an exoplanet passes in front of the star. So if um, the brightness of a star is being observed and there's a consistent dip in the brightness, then it can be inferred that there is a planet um, that is passing in front of it um, at that um, repeated time. And there's also the radio velocity method, um, which measures the wobble of Doppler shift of the star from the uh, influence of the gravity of the planet. Um, So the Doppler effect uh, measures the shift in um, the wavelength of, um, of radiation. So if something's red shifted, that means it's moving away from us. And if something's blue shifted, that means it's moving towards us. So that is measured, uh, and the difference in that is measured from 
the star being affected by any uh, gravity from the planets that may be orbiting it. And then there's the microlensing method, which is when um, a star passes in front of another star, the gravitational field bends the light from the uh, from the star that's behind, and that magnifies the brightness. And so when that lensing star has an exoplanet, then that can act as another lens, which further magnifies the brightness of that star. Um, and the thing about microlensing is that it can only be observed once. So usually if something uh, occurs and they think they find something from microlensing, they usually have to confirm it using transit or radio velocity. And then the um, one of the other very uh, prominent methods is called direct imaging, which is when planets are found by blocking out the star's light in pictures um, that are um, taken of that system. So those are the main um, methods. There are other methods too, but those are the most popular. That's fascinating. Like, I've always wondered how we know that these exoplanets exist. And it's so fascinating. Like, the planet goes in front of the star. It's like a really, like, I wouldn't think of that way. It's like a really smart person came up with that. I know that for sure. But you mentioned the exoplanets, right? So how many are the, or like, how many do we know of, like, in the present day? So right now, there are more than 5,000 exoplanets that are confirmed, which is pretty cool, in my opinion, because um, it's only very recently in the late uh, 20th century that the first exoplanet has been confirmed. And with all these new um, telescopes, space telescopes that have been observing exoplanets, especially now with the James Webb Space Telescope, um, the amount of exoplanets we're finding is increasing exponentially. So now the focus is more so uh, going from finding exoplanets to analyzing what we have already found, because we still have a lot of information to go through. How would you differentiate between these exoplanets? Like, you're saying that they're like 5,000 exoplanets, right? So how would you know which is which? Are there, like, names given to them? Yeah, they have um, names. Some of their names, like, aren't very, like, memorable, if that makes sense. But usually they're named um, with their star and... um and a letter to denote um, which planet they are in that system. So, for example, TRAPPIST-1e orbits um, the star TRAPPIST-1, but um, it's given the label E because there are other planets in that system too. So that's how they kind of differentiate from those exoplanets. Wow, that's really interesting. So how common are exoplanets? So now we know that they are extremely common and that the current um, hypothesis is that one in five sun-like stars are expected to have an Earth-sized planet in their habitable zone. 
which is um, the habitable zone is the region um, at which a planet can be from its star such that it can have liquid water on it. So, and those are just Earth-sized planets. Like exoplanets themselves are like even more common than that. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool to think that um, at a point not in the not so distant past, we didn't even know for sure that there were, were any planets outside of our solar system. But now it's almost uh, a guarantee that there's probably going to be a planet around almost every star that's of a certain age. Wow. Like, I've never realized that there's so many planets out there, like, out of our solar system. Because, you know, when you're, like, in kindergarten and first grade, you learn, like, the order of the planets and all that. So it's really, like, shocking to see that there's, like, 5,000 other planets outside of the system we know. So what are some types of exoplanets? Yeah, so some of the most interesting types that I'm going to mention are those that aren't in our solar system because we have our terrestrial planets like Earth, and then we have our um, gas giants like Jupiter and our ice giants like Neptune. But um, one of the most common types of exoplanets that have been found and probably the most fascinating and I guess surprising um, is this type called hot Jupiters. Um, and these are gas giants like around the size of Jupiter or larger that orbit at really close to their star, like closer than Mercury. So yeah, because they're typically less than one-tenth the distance between um, Earth and the Sun from their star. So it's pretty interesting how something that's very unexpected is actually very common. And then there are also super-Earths, which are slightly larger than Earth, and they're usually very rich in water. Um, there are a whole subset of them that called water worlds that are, have even more water than Earth. And um, so they're rocky planets with an atmosphere that isn't particularly rich in hydrogen and helium. And to contrast that, there are sub-Neptunes, which are larger than super-Earths, but again, they're smaller than Neptune. And their atmosphere is a lot larger, and that has a lot of hydrogen and helium. So those are some of the most interesting types of exoplanets, in my opinion. Yeah, I feel like they're really interesting too, especially like the super Earths with more water than Earth has. Like, that's really interesting. So what are the requirements for habitability? Like, how do you tell that a planet is habitable? Yeah, so again, uh, I mentioned the habitable zone, which is the distance from its star that a planet needs to be have liquid water but that really isn't the name is kind of misleading because that really isn't a guarantee of habitability at all it's just like the most the most general um requirement for a planet to be in that kind of goldilocks zone but more specifically there are four main requirements for um life which 
are a solvent, available energy, stable conditions, and the presence of carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, and sulfur. So um, life needs a solvent. On Earth, that's water, but that doesn't necessarily have to be the case on um, other planets where life might have evolved differently and might um, use liquid ammonia or liquid methane or liquid ethanol. Um, so the possibilities for that are pretty diverse. And then um, also any life needs available energy to metabolize off of. So um, something that's um, that everyone's pretty familiar with here on Earth is phototrophy, which is when the life form captures photons to produce carbohydrates. But there are many other um, different ways to get energy. So I think that field of study in particular is really interesting and kind of thinking about how life could um, thrive in the most kind of insane conditions um, and how they can really benefit off of their environment in ways that are really surprising. And there also need to be stable conditions. So um, on Earth, we are protected by stellar radiation from our sun by our magnetic field. So that is probably one of the reasons that life has uh, been able to develop uh, so far. And um, the fact that we are in a one star system instead of orbiting two stars, that also makes everything a lot more predictable and stable. And then we also, um, the current consensus is that we need carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, and sulfur for um, life. And this is because these elements make up most of the biomolecules that we have here on Earth. That is so interesting. So how exactly do scientists like identify this, like these requirements for habitability? Like, do they do it based off of how life lives on Earth or? Yeah, that's that's pretty much what it's going off of um, because that's the only real example we have right now. So yeah, they're very, they're very like Earth centric, if that makes sense. Like they're very, um, limited to our knowledge of what's on earth but i think like in the future when there are more um when there are more innovations in the lab um and more experiments to see what exactly is possible uh we'll probably be able to refine these conditions more yeah definitely because like i feel like life can live in i think i don't know i don't know anything about this but i personally think that life could maybe live in conditions that are like not like our current conditions so with like a different atmosphere because when you think about it like when earth was first like formed like billions of years ago like when it was in its baby stages there was still life there and like i think at one point in time like there wasn't any oxygen in the atmosphere at all but there were like certain organisms who would like live in that in those like 
extreme conditions. So I feel like definitely in the future we could have more references for that other than our current present-day Earth. Like, do scientists use um, past Earth, like Earth's past forms, Earth's past editions, if you will, like to identify these requirements? Yeah, totally. Because what you said about um, the oxygen in particular is totally right, because there were all these oxygen, ox, oxidization events, um, which really came from um, organisms themselves um, that produced that oxygen. So it is very fluid. And those extreme, um, those organisms that can live in extreme conditions, those are called extremophiles. And they're actually really interesting to study. And I think, especially when it comes to this topic. And so, um, going back to your question about um how they use earth's past um using um archaeology and um what we can find uh from within the earth um that can tell us about its past it can really give insight into the conditions of an early planet like when a planet is first formed because obviously when we look at these exoplanets not all of them are going to be at the same age as earth so rather than comparing them to what earth is like now um it's very helpful to compare them to what earth was like at another stage possibly yeah definitely this is like it's really interesting to think about it because earth was so different in the past so how can we observe the atmospheres of exoplanets? Yeah, so um, it's through this method called spectroscopy, which is um, when basically when the starlight passes through a planet's atmosphere, the intensity of certain wavelengths indicate the presence of certain chemicals. Um, and so that's how um, certain elements are identified from that planet's atmosphere and usually it's um usually measured when a planet passes in front of its star which is called a primary eclipse because that starlight we see is filtered through the planet's atmosphere and then based on that we can um decide we can really determine how how um these different chemicals um appear in that atmosphere because they all correspond to certain wavelengths and that's mostly that's the main way that we uh determine those atmospheres yeah that's fascinating so i feel like this is the golden question which everyone just wants the answer to is anyone searching for intelligent alien civilizations if so how Yes, so there are people in this field called um, SETI, which is the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. And um, this field um, is very much um, based on um, observation of electromagnetic radiation because they're trying to detect transmissions um, that could be sent from possible extraterrestrial civilizations. And I think it's a very difficult field to be in, in my opinion, because 
we can, um, there are a lot of false positives when it comes to that. Um, like there could be um, a signal that we thought was from um, extraterrestrials at first, but then it turns out to be, say, a comet or even just an error in our measuring devices. So it's very, um, it's very, it's a very interesting field and honestly a little bit controversial, I think, in the scientific community. But I think it's definitely a really cool field and I admire the people who dedicate their lives to this really fascinating topic. Yeah, definitely. It's so interesting to think about the universe beyond our solar system. And like, it's even better and even more interesting to think about life on in those exoplanets. So what is your personal favorite exoplanet? So my favorite exoplanet is probably TRAPPIST-1e because I just find it really interesting how um, some of its characteristics make it um, possible for habitability, but then it has other characteristics that kind of might make us question whether or not life could really thrive there. So it's a terrestrial planet. So it's a rocky planet, smaller than Earth, and it orbits in its in the habitable zone of an ultra-cool dwarf star, which is the least massive type of star. And the thing about habitable zones is they don't have to be the same distance. They aren't the same distance necessarily from Earth as the distance from Earth to the sun because those stars have um, certain different um, temperatures and masses. Um, And so if this uh, star is um, a lot less massive, then that means um, it's going to give off a lot less heat. And so the habitable zone would be a lot closer to that star. And so um, there are many, many, um, there, I think there are several um, planets in that system, but TRAPPIST-1e is one of the ones in its habitable habitable zone and it is tidally locked, which means that the same side of the planet is always facing um, its star, just like how the same side of the moon is always facing us. And that kind of makes um, habitability a bit of like a controversial uh, possibility on this planet because um, most parts of the planet, it would either be like scorching hot or like extremely cold. Uh, But some people think that possibly like uh, there could like on the um, edges of both of those regions, there could be kind of like a golden zone of like um, right conditions. And if there, and if it has like um, the right type of atmosphere, then perhaps he could be distributed uh, more evenly throughout the planet. So I think it's a pretty interesting one to think about um, to kind of like weigh the different possibilities of uh, what factors might make it habitable and what factors might make it less likely to be habitable. Yeah, definitely. It sounds so interesting. And what I know definitely is that you know your stuff. So do you want to do this as like a career? Like I think you mentioned like the database, not database, like the organization kind of thing where people kind of dedicate their lives to ex- like finding extraterrestrial life. So do you want to do that as a career? 
Um, yeah, I think it's definitely like a possibility that that's uh, where I want to go into because I definitely want to go into a career in astrophysics. But I just think that like right now, this is probably like the most relevant um, and quickly growing field um, is exoplanet research. It's getting probably like the most funding um, more so than like cosmology or other fields of astrophysics right now, be, per, particularly because the public is very interested in it. And it's just kind of um, what piques everyone's interest because it's just very fascinating and leads to like a lot of practical like possibilities that might like affect our place in the universe. So I could definitely see myself maybe like analyzing the atmospheres of exoplanets or even like searching for those signals like i think it, that would definitely be a cool job possibly very like frustrating like going and going to work and not seeing like any very like um compelling um observations but yeah. I, I think uh if anything is found it well when if slash when anything is found it's definitely going to be a very gratifying experience Definitely. So I, it, it was kind of said in your bio, but like, have you like always loved science? And why don't you elaborate more on why you really like this field of astrophysics and exoplanets? Yeah, so growing up, I wasn't really sure what what exactly I wanted to do, because I was just so interested in many different subjects in school. Like I loved math. I loved science, I loved history, and I loved English. So I was kind of like, oh, well, I like all of them. I don't want to have to choose one. And that's yeah. particularly why, like, astrophysics kind of stood out to me because there's obviously a lot of math involved. It's a science. And also, it has a lot of really rich, like, history. And, like, well, basically, you are studying history because you're studying the past uh, of our universe. And also... um you definitely have to be very skilled in your um, writing skills as a scientist. Um, and so I think being a good writer definitely comes in handy um, when you are writing your research papers or writing your proposals um, for um, research. So I think um, it just like combines a lot of um, the, the different things I'm interested in, and especially exo for exoplanet research, I think um, it also ties into chemistry and biology. So it's almost kind of like a combination of all of these um, hard sciences. So it's really like a cutting edge right now, in my opinion, of science. So that's mostly why I've been drawn to it in the past almost a year or so I've been very interested in that yeah like this seems so interesting but like most of the teenagers that I know kind of like agonize over anything like this like anything involving physics or math or complicated science I feel like they normally don't like it so what like what would you say to someone who like doesn't like astronomy like obviously everyone has their own opinion but what would you do to convince them that this is actually really cool 
Well, I will ask them to kind of separate, like, the um, thought of actually, like, solving these problems and trying to understand things and just, like, um, ask them, like, when they look at the night sky and see all these stars, like, do they ever, like, wonder about um, what's out there? Because I really think that um, this passion comes down to curiosity. So, um, obviously, everyone's going to struggle, um, even, like, the best um, physicists struggle uh, because it's just such a hard field. Um, but what keeps them going is really this curiosity and passion for like knowledge. So I think that um, even if some people don't necessarily want to get down to the nitty gritty um, aspects of this field, like that's perfectly fine. It's obviously not for everyone, but um, I would I would like encourage them to just kind of like appreciate um, what they kind of can understand and like try to think about like how it affects their day-to-day life. Cause even if uh, you're not necessarily studying it, I think uh, a lot of people um, can be very like, can get a lot of um, revelations about um, what is possible. And so I think having an open mind and having like a growth mindset and not necessarily like um, getting like when you don't understand something instead of getting frustrated and kind of turned off from the subject, kind of thinking about um, how can I learn more? Like this is really interesting. And so I think it's a lot about mindset and this comes to like really any subject because I think all of them, I wouldn't say that anyone is more, any subject is more important than the others. I think they all have their place. And so I think um, it would be very nice, like, for everyone to appreciate all of them. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with you. Like, all of the subjects are kind of the same. It just kind of depends on which subject, which career you want to go into. So what do you kind of plan for your future? Like, do you plan on doing, like, research in the future do you like what universities are you looking at kind of that stuff yeah so i know that i definitely want to um go to a college that has access to a lot of research opportunities um as an undergraduate so so that I can um, kind of do get some hands-on experience like before I even uh, graduate. Um, and I think when it comes to um, my career um, in the end, after I finish school, because I plan on getting my PhD because it's uh, really what you need um, for most jobs in this field. But after that, I think I could see myself as a researcher um, at maybe like uh, searching for um, intelligent extraterrestrial life um, or analyzing um, data from um, these exoplanet observations and the atmospheric spectra. But I could also see myself <clears throat> possibly being a professor because 
I really like explaining this stuff to people and I like teaching people and I like uh, seeing people kind of like have these like aha moments. Um, I just think that's really cool. So I think that's also definitely a big possibility. Yeah, I feel like you'd be such a good professor because even now I know so much about exoplanets than I did before. So what exactly is the significance of exoplanet research? Why is it important? Yeah, so it helps us gain more insight into our own solar system, actually, because we're still trying to figure out what exactly um, the beginnings of our solar system and its formation uh, was like. Um, and so observing all these different systems at their different stages can help us to identify what was most likely to happen. And for a specific example of that, um, I talked about the hot Jupiters. Um, so there are a lot of kind of theories about um, Jupiter and it's like possible migration, like, um, like from different places in the solar system. <laughs> and so um, studying um, hot Jupiters um could possibly lead to insights about this planetary migration and um in addition to having um impacts in other areas of astronomy like studying the solar system it also um i think has a pretty big impact on biology especially when it comes to um really searching for life and um, seeing um, how different planets have these different characteristics and their possibilities, because I think um, we're, we still don't exactly know how life starts. And that's like something that really interests me. Like, I like I understand, like, yes, like evolution. Um, but before that, like what really um, what really kind of started the shift between just chemical reactions and actual Darwinian um, biology um, and evolution? Because I think that that's just really interesting. And I think perhaps uh, seeing all these different types of exoplanets um, and their different conditions, I think we could possibly like get more insight as to what is possible. and. Um, design experiments that could possibly put that to the test. And I think um, on a more practical note, I think exoplanet research kind of helps us put ourselves um, as a species, as a planet into uh, the context of the universe, because I think throughout history, a common um, theme was kind of um, thinking that like the Earth was the center of everything, right? Like yeah. the sun orbited the earth, the geocentric model. And like after the uh, after we um, kind of came to the consensus that no, the earth actually orbits the sun, we still thought our solar system was really the center of everything. And like that we were kind of like very like unique. Um, and I think seeing all these different, um, see how common exoplanets are and seeing how common exoplanets that are similar to Earth are, it kind of like um, gives us like another perspective um, as to like how 
like really like there could there is like a possibility that there is a place that is a lot like this possibly has that possibly has um species like ours um and so i just think it's like a really interesting from a philosophical perspective and um also um when it comes to the future of humanity if earth were to um at one point well obviously it will become um uninhabitable at one point um because um ultimately it's gonna be swallowed up by the sun when it turns into a red giant but it's probably gonna go out before that because of climate change and everything so when it does become uninhabitable um hopefully we'll kind of have some um options um as to like like if we could find if we could go to another planet that could help uh sue us for life and has the conditions that we need for life but that also kind of brings into question the um the uh problem of space travel um for long distances because um all these uh planets are like either like several to like thousands and thousands of light years away and we can't even travel close to the speed of light right now so i think um it just really opens up a lot of different possibilities for further research um in different fields yeah definitely i feel like those two ways of looking at it like finding if there are any like extraterrestrial creatures like out there and it's also a matter of finding a planet that we can inhabit somewhere in the future, like with ozone layer depletion and stuff like that. So thank you so much for being on our show today. This was fascinating, and I'm sure our listeners enjoyed it as well. So you guys, be sure to check out Nayeli's Instagram, which is spill the underscore XO underscore T. Now, that's a really awesome username, by the way. Very creative. And again, thank you so much for being on today's show. We really appreciate it. Make sure to check out our radio site at www.expressyourselfteenradio.com. As always, we express our gratitude to Star Star Productions, Cynthia Bryan, Be The Story You Are, and our Voice America Empowerment crew, especially our audio engineer, Andrew. Thanks to our guests from all across the world, and a huge thank you to our listeners for making us a top-rated program. For more information about BTSYA, visit www.bethestoryouare.org. Find us on Instagram at Express Yourself Radio. Reach for the stars and land on them. Always remember to speak up, speak out, and most importantly, express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. Produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines If you would let yourself go